Hey ladies, welcome to season three of Grow To Be Free. I know it's been a hot minute, but I promise you this season is worth the wait. I've been hard at work leveling up the audio quality with new mics, editing, music, intro and outro, and more. I am also getting more creative with the content we talk about. We're going to dive deep into a series on self-worth, which I am so stoked for you to hear. In addition, for the first time in Grow To Be Free history, I'll be bringing on some male guests. You heard it right, ladies. We're going there. Lastly, you'll hear from guests new and veteran who are experts, authors, and all-around genuinely wise people. Now let's jump into episode one with the new intro and music. This interview was recorded during season two, and I didn't have my new mic back then, so don't judge the sound quality. I'm interviewing an incredible speaker and author who has overcome a shockingly adverse childhood, severe loss and grief, and has still come out on the other side as a positive, loving, and healthy individual. Her story blew my mind, and I know you'll take away some insights that you can apply to your own life. So let's get to it there's not any difference between the mind seeing it and us having it there's no difference physiologically in our bodies so i was still getting filled fortunately with those really good chemicals and hormones in the body that release from joy this is grow to be free a self-development podcast that helps ambitious ladies pursue their dreams while finding peace happiness and maintaining a thriving mental health my name is Kiani and I burnt myself out at age 22 I didn't know my purpose I hated my job I thought money was the answer to all my problems and girl was I sad I fought through anxiety and depression by working on myself non-stop now I can honestly say that I am happy I find peace every single day and I'm on a journey to discover my best life Join me as I sit with other ambitious gals who have learned to unlock this new level of life. Think of us as the girlfriends that actually grow with you. We'll share all the tangible tips to help you transform your mindset, mental health, relationships, faith, and finances. Plug in your headphones, get ready to jot down some notes, and let yourself be inspired. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Grow to Be Free podcast. I am super excited today to introduce to you guys Miss Dr. Lanika. She is a transformational speaker, a mentor, a metaphysician, and a best-selling author. She's super passionate about helping people reframe and reclaim their lives to greater self-empowerment and success. And Lanika has a really big influence. She speaks and consults globally, blending both science and authority through personal experience. She wakes up audiences with her powerful message and unique insight into the power within each and every one of us. And I'm so excited to introduce to you guys to her because she is just an amazing person. She has an incredible story. And without further ado, Dr. Lanika. Hi, Kiani. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here and such a blessing to share with you and with and with your listeners. Yes, absolutely. And so I want to kind of dive into your story going all the way back to childhood. I know you you have kind of like an adverse situation that you, you've grown up with. And I know not everybody has these adverse situations that they've grown up with, but I feel like there's a lot of things that people can take from it to help them learn from their adversities and get through that. So if you want to start from the beginning. <laughs> that's a that's a really good place to start um, <laughs> with this because um, 
you know, it really did start at the beginning. And for me, meaning that it started very young. And certainly uh, that's the thing about adversity. Comparison isn't, um, doesn't serve anybody. You know, we, we can hear some people's story and think it might be lesser or more than ours, but that's, you know, we, we rob ourselves if we, we get stuck on that because honestly, adversity, whatever we have faced in our lives is the hardest thing, is, is the hardest thing. I, I, you know, it's the hardest thing someone else has gone through. Well, then that, you know, you can't say that it's any lesser for them. Uh, and that's why I think the stories of adversity when we share them are so important because, you know, we can all take something from it. And uh, that's when we turn that adversity into something that's really positive. And when I talk about this story, which I'll just share in a moment, um, I don't relive it. I, I always make a point of sharing this is I'm not reliving it. Uh, even when I speak from stage or whatever platform I'm doing that from, I make a point of sharing. I'm not reliving it. I'm, you know, I'm the the woman I am today doing what I do. So I don't relive it, but I review it. And I think that's something really important for all of us. So if we can get into that place where we're reviewing it, because then we can take from it some things that will serve us and we can then take that power from it and realize that we've become a master of those things and an authority on those things. And it, it really just flips that switch as well. But certainly for me, um, I was born into a situation that was, you know, really chaotic, traumatic, very violent and very dangerous. And so um, uh, we migrated to Australia from Europe. I was very tiny at the time. And I think that the aim was to have a bit of a different life once we got here. Uh, there were seven of us, but unfortunately that didn't happen very quickly. Uh, the same sort of circumstance, circumstances continued. And uh, so we were, as a result, moving a lot. And, uh, you know, just, just so much so that I was changing schools all the time. And of course, home life was incredibly... Um, traumatic, as I mentioned before, and not at all settled. There wasn't really any uh, place to talk. It was really true that saying about, you know, children are seen and not heard. It, it was like to the, the ultimate degree there, except for, you know, the use of children or how, you, you know, how you could be, um, I guess, of benefit to them. And so, and all of those situations were very dangerous. So it wasn't a place I was talking much at home to anybody. And certainly, even though there were so many siblings, um, we certainly weren't talking to one another because it was such a terrifying environment. It was just a case of survival. And uh, so at school as well, I, because we were moving so often, I lost count after a while. I stopped counting. I know my eldest brother, who was much, much older than me, had kept count. And that's when I, you know, I guess I just kind of copied him as you do with an older sibling. So in some ways, it's sad to think that those, those were the things that I was doing as a child or any child is doing, but I started counting the schools too. But I stopped counting when I turned nine and I'd been to 14 different schools and I just didn't count anymore. And, you know, we were sometimes in a school for two weeks, sometimes for a couple of months and then, you know, just moving again. So I was constantly the new girl. I also had an accent. Um, I was always wearing secondhand clothes, of course, and donations from churches or whatever uh, had come into the family. And yeah, and I had this funny, you know, hairstyle because my mother would cut our hair, but she obviously was not trained in hairdressing. And me being a curly haired girl, she would also just cut my hair to the hairline, you know, just to, it was just the kind of thing that, you know, a child is going to walk into bullying, unfortunately, um, for yeah. any of those reasons. But with all of that and not having the pencils or pens, you know, it was very obvious too, because 
you know, being very nervous, of course, not a child in that family, you couldn't really grow up with any confidence and presenting differently in the worst nightmare for all of us, right? None of us want to do that in society. We try and fit in, especially as children. We're learning very much for the first time. You know, if you stand out, um, it's not good. So I had to, you know, approach other children and ask to borrow pencils or pens or things like that. And it just never went well. It was so the reason I share that is because it's, you know, for many people as well, they also don't just have a home life that's going that way. You know, they're also having it at school or elsewhere. And certainly, you know, there was uh, conflict within the siblings at home, you know, you know, certain things going on, very differing ages and everyone was suffering. So, you know, some of those, you know, process those things, I guess, and sh showed them in different ways, which could also be very violent. So it was just sort of coming on every level, but as time went by, got to the point where um, when I was 11, um, yeah, my mother told me, well, you're a smart girl and uh, this time we're moving again, but we're not bringing you. You know, you'll you'll be on your feet. You, you can go, you know, see the Salvation Army, which is kind of like Goodwill, um, something like that, an organization. Uh, you know, you'll be fine. And, you know, I certainly didn't want to believe that it was true, but but as the days went by and things started disappearing from the house, you know, getting given away and things like that, you know, I just, I, I kind of knew. And then I just came home from school one day and it actually happened. Uh, they were out front, there was a taxi and my mum gave me a few dollars and a, a couple of oranges and, and just, and they left. And so, yeah, so at that point, um, just to, I guess, which is where um, the book that I, you know, the, the book about this particular story I wrote uh, begins there it actually begins where I was left on the side of, of the road and as they they went off I just had my school bag and these oranges and a few dollars and I was completely on my own from that age and yeah, yeah and then I was on the street by myself for over a year and during that time I didn't speak to anyone uh, I avoided it at all costs because um, I as far as I knew just like any child you if you haven't had any exposure to other families, you just imagine that every family will be like your own. And I knew I'd barely survived in my environment. And that was through my observation. You know, I didn't have those sorts of thoughts back then to think, oh, well, my observation skills helped me survive. But I knew that I knew my family and the dynamics and certain expressions and moments and things like that. So that had helped me survive. You know, I knew if I had a chance at times when I could maybe run out a back door or, you know, hide under a bed or do something, you know, um, or just when something really bad was going to happen, just by a certain expression on one of my parents and the voice tone of the other, these sorts of things that we learn as children, we just absorb them. And so I thought I, I just wouldn't survive another family. I just really believed that everyone's families were like mine. So I did not want to be picked up by welfare. And so as a result, yes, I avoided, um, you know, being around anybody. And I just, yeah, stayed out of the way. And I just slept in trees at night, different ones each night. And uh, yes, and there was just, you know, um, always that case of not wanting to be tracked or not wanting to be, you know, caught. So I would go up as high up a tree as I could. And, and you can't escape assault or injury while you're on the street, especially as a child. So um, there were times that I couldn't climb because I'd been assaulted or something had happened by, you know, other people on the street. Uh, you know, people thinking that you might have, I guess, money or something, I don't know, just trying to rob you. Um, and some of that's detailed a bit more in the book. But uh, on those occasions, I would sleep under railway carriages, you know, that which is just, not, it's not a place for anybody to be child or adult. And 
those sorts of things. But that's how I that's how I survived the street, you know, um, sleeping wise and just always staying out of out of out of view. And uh, yeah, I guess you know, and again on the street for over just for oh, just over a year. Yeah. Wow. At, at the time, were you in like were you still going to school or were you just roaming? <laughs> No, definitely roaming. And I was not, and that's a good word, Kelly. I'm really glad that you said that because that's exactly what I was doing. I was walking every day. And now when I look back, I understand that what I was doing was very powerful. At the time it was survival and it was a certain math, even though I didn't even use that phrase back then. I kept, I realized that when something made me very sad, like if I saw a family getting into a car and in particular, one time I saw a a father as the, the little girl got in I saw him go to close the back door and then he stopped and her coat was caught a little bit and he lifted it in and he closed the door and I it made me so I you know I started crying I mean I was off at a distance because and this is so sad but you know it just highlights it is I, I remember wishing not that I was that little girl but that I was the, the coat because he was so careful with her coat you know I didn't even think wow. about it you know, at first I, I obviously did. I thought, you know, oh, there's a father with a daughter. But as he lifted the coat so gently, there was something in that that really, you know, touched somewhere in my heart that, you know, that some, I guess, some parent could be worried that much that even the coat mattered that much. And yeah. so things like that might happen, you know, uh, along the way, or I might see a, a mother walking along holding her daughter's hand. And I would feel that welling up and, you know, of my of my mom or something like that and I would notice that if that had happened and then I was trying to climb a tree or walk that I felt very weak I couldn't jump up at that first branch as well and I just started to notice that um you know that that for some reason I made the connection I'm so grateful people sometimes say what would you say to your younger self I always know what I would say is thank you I'm just so amazed that and grateful that you know she did what she did back then to get me to where I am today because um, figuring that out somehow and again it didn't have a lot of thought in it it was just like oh you know knowing that it had to change and then yet when I had the energy when I was walking around the streets roaming and going somewhere different every day doing these long walks I was always thinking to myself sometimes saying out loud quietly you know one day I'm going to have a street like this and I'll have a house like that and I keep walking and I'll, it'll have a door like that and I'll have a key and it will lock and I would know right down to what was in the refrigerator I was like you know I'll have this and I'll know the name of the cat down the street and I'll know the name of the shopkeeper and I'll make dinner for someone because I know how amazing that would feel to have someone do that for me and I would just have these feelings and they'd make me very excited as a child I would just start to get this feeling and, and I was you know walking really fast and I would even think that you know I'm really strong or something I would just be thinking this and give me the delight because amidst living like basically you know beyond an adult even really um there was still that child and I guess that's what was happening was I just get this joy for a moment and I'd notice how quickly I could walk and I didn't think about it more than that like wow this is really important I should do this and do that it was just I noticed that so yeah. when I'd get upset, I would quickly, um, not so much shut it down, but just um, remember that I was going to one day have a home, something like that. I would swap out the thought and I would just change yeah. it because I knew I felt better. So yeah. uh, so those things absolutely helped. Yeah, I have a question on that. that. Well, that's pretty amazing. So did you only notice that you were starting to imagine those things when you were on, on the street by yourself? Or did you have that type of mentality when you were also with your family beforehand? 
That's a great question because I did have it beforehand. That's what was, I think, helped me survive. When, uh, when I was three, I witnessed something horrific that nobody, adult or child, should ever have to see. And it really made me understand a thing about mortality, you know, that people die and that things die. And so um, at that moment, I think it really awakened something in me more than there was before. I always felt that there was some sort of, you know, um, conversation going on for me with myself as, you know, we all have, uh, and we, we probably notice it more in later, later in, you know, when we've grown up, but I had that. And I think it's because I needed to obviously, you know, weigh things up. There was no one outside in my family to talk to. So I would, you know, weigh up a choice. And I, I guess I heard it as a conversation, not, not as an audible voice, but just that, you know, that thing. And certainly when this, um, happened with, with me as a child at three, it stepped up because I realized, I, I realized in that moment one day, it's this terrible thing to have to realize at three, my parents are going to die one day. I just realized I'm going to be on my own. And so I started thinking about what would I do? Like, what would I do? I remember this very clearly, even being in the back seat of the car and my feet not even going over the edge of the seat. So, you know, I was really quite young and feeling very upset. Like I had tears, I was trying to keep them quietly. But I remember thinking in a three-year-old's way, I'd have to take clothes from the neighbor's line. Like for some reason I was thinking I suddenly wouldn't have clothes or, you know, just a little, obviously a three-year-old's thinking. And, yeah. you know, what would I do? And I think that really also triggered my imagination even more, um, but not just even for things like that, uh, for survival and little did I know, right? That just seven, uh, sorry, eight years later, I would be faced with that. They hadn't died, but I, I would be on my own. Um, so in a weird way, that's why when I look back at adversity, I can review it and see, wow, Although that was horrific to have happened and to witness, it gifted me because it made me start thinking very early on about survival. What would I do if I'm on my own? And it served me later on. So I do like to look at adversity that way and see where, yes, even though that was horrific, what did it gift me to help me later? And it certainly did. You know, that three-year-old bore something really horrific, which ended up helping the 11-year-old. But um, other things I used to imagine a lot were things for my mom because we moved so much and so very you know poor family that I remember she never had a vacuum cleaner or often didn't even have a broom and she would used to um if it was a carpeted place or even tiled she would uh, uh sorry linoleum actually it would have been back she had because we were in such rundown homes and so old she would wind up a t-shirt and knot it uh this is just as again when I look back and uh, I don't hold bitterness actually toward any of to either of my parents um, that's another story, but just saying that I, I, it's a blessing for me to, to be able to think that they had their own stories behind what was going on. It doesn't make it okay what happened to me, but it does take a lot of and all of bitterness out of it and, and certainly no vengefulness or anything like that. But I, I look at this with compassion. And even back then, she would wind this T-shirt up and she would just kind of beat it and like sweep it. And I remember all the dust going. And as a child thinking how amazing it looked in the sunlight, <laughs> probably to my mom, it wasn't such a great thing because then there was dust everywhere. But she was she would beat the floors, you know, like that to get the dust and the, the lint up. And, and that, you know, those were the ways or make a, you know, try and make a floor rug in a cold house by getting a potato sack and putting pieces of old rags through it, you know, either side, little strips of it to try and make a rug. and. So I was witnessing that at the same time and I was often thinking, um, you know, imagining what to me as a child over here, our 50 cent piece is the largest coin. It's kind of, you know, got all these different edges to it and it's, uh, it's really quite large. And I remember thinking if I could find 
all a lot of those coins. And then I would imagine them being in this giant bag and being able to show my mom and the delight on her face and she could get a vacuum cleaner. And I would just live in those moments wow. so much. So. so I definitely know that my imagination, right down to those sorts of things. And I remember it did bring me a lot of joy imagining it because I guess on some level, like we've learned in, in you know, in our lives that, you know, when the, there's not any difference between the mind seeing it and us having it, there's no difference physiologically in our bodies. So I was still getting filled, fortunately, with those really good chemicals and hormones in the body that release about, from joy and from gratitude. So in another way, without knowing it, I was getting very blessed on that level. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty incredible. And so when you were, when you were on the streets and you were doing this imaginative practice that you didn't realize was a practice at the time, but you were definitely imagining things that haven't happened yet, but stuff that you, that you would like that brings you joy. Would you consider yourself at that time, you know, fairly joyful or was it only in those moments that you can imagine that you felt that joy? I think I was joyful because I'm, I was very blessed to be, I would also use the word hilarious. I, I had such a good sense of humor and, and that did show sometimes in the family, um, my father or mother, they did have that humor, it, you know, when it was able to be shown, um, you know, amongst that chaos, of course, it really stands out because again, you know, if you've got a massive big, uh, you know, area of um, dirt or debris, and there's something beautiful and shiny in it, it stands out, even if it's small. And so those moments were, were not unlike that for me. I remember them very vividly and, and, and loved them so much where there would be a moment of humor and, you know, and their voices of laughing. So I certainly did inherit that humor and um, just, you know, wherever it was able to be out, you know, maybe with, my, especially with my brother who I was closest to, uh, one of my brothers, um, just now and then, you know, if we did have an opportunity to kind of play in some regard, you know, just that humor and yeah, very joyful, but also definitely it's, 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 it's such a juxtaposition to be in because I was also I, obviously constantly in a state of terror. We all were, you just never knew it, and it would happen at the drop of a hat when you would least expect it. The worst possible things could happen and the danger could just be there from the moment of one moment of, you know, playing some sort of game with sticks and stones outside or empty cicada shells. I remember playing with my brother once we lined them up as an army and we were playing, but that they were an army for good. He was um, a very peaceful, joyful, loving soul too. Very, very sensitive, but he would, he was older than me and he would think of these games and we were playing them and it was such joy. But then in that moment too, crashing down this massive danger, dangerous violence that was coming through the front door and, you know, and everything changing. So I think right. it was both that I had this joy. I always had this sense of hopefulness and I know that that's so powerful. You know, people have different things to say about hope, but I think hope is an incredibly powerful force to have. And I do think it runs hand in hand with joy. I, I really do. So those things certainly served me as well. Wow. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up about the juxtaposition, because I just imagine and I think about my own memories of like, oh, you know, this was a good time. And, you know, like maybe this was a bad time. But, you know, you have these memories where you had something good going on and then suddenly there is like something bad going on. And and yet you still consider yourself as you were a kid as a joyful 
uh, person. And I think it's really interesting that you also said your bro- your brother was very peaceful and calm as well. And, and those are just not exactly qualities that you would think that a child in that type of environment would have. And so, you know, as, as, as you grew up and got older, do you, do you find that you, you started to kind of mix up those memories in a way? Like, did you ever have a time where you, where you couldn't quite remember the good times or, you know, you could only focus on the bad times or, you know, any of those like moments where those memories just kind of got mushed together in a way and you, you couldn't remember the joy or did you, or do you always remember the joy? Like what, how, what has it been like for you? For the last four years, I personally have been using journaling as a healing practice and it's literally transformed my life. It's one of the key ways I've been able to work through my anxiety, get myself out of depression and really begin to thrive in life. If you're looking to get into journaling or you are in need of a new one, the Ambitious Peace journals are now available on Amazon. For those of you who don't know, these are super cute aesthetic journals with a different encouraging, motivational and insightful quote on every single page. They're small enough to fit in a purse, they're college ruled, and have 150 pages of space to free write, jot down your life plan, or to process those really tough thoughts and emotions. If you have been watching this on YouTube or Spotify, you'll be able to see what they look like, but I will describe them for everybody, so don't worry. One is this monochromatic chocolate wave design. The second one is another monochromatic look, but it's like a pink, light pink painting on canvas. And the last one is a light blue, white square geometric pattern that is very satisfying to the eye. My favorite one happens to be the chocolate one, but I'm looking forward to hearing which one is your favorite. So let me know in the comments or in your reviews. Again, you can find these on Amazon. I will link the Amazon link in the description of this show. And without further ado, let's get back to the episode. I think that's a, there's such a blessing in that question because, uh, you know, it's so common that that can happen where everything just becomes, no, it was all bad. And you know, it was, it was just awful. I was unwanted. I was hated. I was hurt. You know, I'm talking about any, anybody's story here. And, and certainly there are moments that those things can flare, but I'm really blessed that I, I've always remembered both. And it doesn't mean that there haven't been times when I've had great despair, uh, especially, you know, um, you know, in years gone by where there were moments of great despair and sadness. Um, And I think that's what was in the middle of that despair is more sadness uh, just, you know, just at so much uh, opportunity lost, I guess, because, you know, there's, there were times to look back and you think, well, I remember my mother telling me at one point uh, when I was uh, turning 10 and she, she um, was hugging, you know, um, hugging my sister who was close to me in age, but she was uh, hugging her. And then I went to hug her because this didn't happen very, that this didn't happen in the family, you know, like uh, certainly not to me. Um, but I kind of went to lean in and she just said to me, oh, no, 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 you're too old now. You don't have hugs once you turn 10. You know, children don't. And again, as a child, you believe what your parent tells you. You just believe it is true. And I remember this thought right away came to me as I leaned back, one, self-conscious that, you know, you leaned in for something and then it was like, oh, no, that like I did the wrong thing. And Mm -hmm. then that feeling instantly of 
it was very sad. I remember it very clearly. And I'm smiling only because I have so much love for that child that I, I always, you know, remember it and send so much love back. But I just remember feeling instantly, oh, no, it's too late. And I never had the chance. Now it's too late. I'll never have one, you know. So it, it's, it's looking back at times, you know, when something might have happened in my life. Um, you know, for instance, being widowed when, when that happened and caused an immense amount of, you know, absolute utter shock and sadness and grief, just, you know, in that despair, you know, that's when these moments can start to hook back into you. It happens for all of us where then we look back and think, you know, oh, now I've, I've lost him, you know, and I, and I'm just kind of, it didn't happen exactly this way, but I'm just, you know, trying to form it together to give this example. You might then look back and think, you know, and I didn't, I didn't have, you know, I already lost with my family. It was already so sad, but that was the thing, you know, I, I could never forget the, those joyful moments. It, it's, I'm so blessed to have this. And I definitely think it's come from a practice though that I didn't know I was even doing as a child and it's never too late to start it. But I do believe it's because I, not even purposely, I just did remember these moments and so I kept them alive so even in that moment of great despair about losing him and then perhaps looking back at my family and just thinking even then I had you know I lost everything why why you know those moments which are natural natural and normal and quite valid um, we need to go through that part but I would also just remember you know those the faces you know of my brother or my sister you know or, or some moment and I would just think about, you know, the times we laughed or, you know, very rarely we might, you know, play a game of makeshift cricket because <laughs> my father, you know, again, we came from Europe initially and cricket was big there as well as here in Australia. And, you know, just moments when we were actually, you know, living out of a car, but we'd pull over somewhere and he'd find a stick that was like a bat and we'd, we'd have those moments. And so it was too quick for me to be able to stay in that despair too long because it would come flooding in and it wouldn't take it over, but it would just, I guess, join that despair. So it kind of um, kept me from sinking too deeply into it and, and forgetting that, no, you know, if you're going to go there, if you're going to think about the hard times, you've got to be fair about the facts and know that there were also these moments that you deserve to remember, not to, to uh, water down what you went through, but make sure that you have those moments there with you to sit there with you because you you deserve those. You deserve to, to have them as well, you know, while, while you're going through this. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love how you said that of, you know, you deserve to have those moments of joyfulness and happiness. And, you know, even you coming from such a crazy background, it's like we all can have those little moments of joy that, really can help us through those moments of despair. And so you mentioned something about you having a practice of doing this. And so um, I'm assuming you've kind of done a little bit of work to figure out like what that practice was. Can, can you share a little bit about how somebody can learn how to get a hold of that, those joyful moments to help them in the despair? Yes, absolutely. And Keani, I think this is why, you know, um, it's, it's, so again, it fills me with joy when I see people um, going after their dreams or their goals, you know, and doing what they're doing and building what they're building and sharing what their, you know, the wealth is of what they do, you know, like you're doing and you're helping reach so many and, you know, you'll continue to do that and it'll grow wider and deeper as well. I can just tell, you know, um, as well as the fact that you're actually physically putting it out there, you can see it one and all. But this is the thing, um, sharing the ways in which, 
it turned it around for me because, again, it is such a powerful story to think, well, okay, well, if Anika went from that to doing what she does today, you know, speaking globally, talking with clients, you know, everything that I get blessed to do and, you know, and I, I do that sigh because I just think how lucky I am. You know, I feel how blessed I am. And um, it wasn't luck that got me here, but I feel lucky to have been able to had, a, you know, my child self do what they did and get me to have that, to keep me alive, basically, so that I would have opportunities later to choose again and again. And so part of my practice is as a result of that, I look at myself now too and um, make sure that I take really good care of myself because there's a future self that is dependent on me doing that. And so it's another reason why self-care today and being respectful of ourselves and looking out for ourselves is such an important practice. And that's actually the really core key to what I share with people is, you know, the, the practice is of number one of taking care of the physical human being you were given in this life to to be here in and to you know that was breathed life into and that is a physical human being on this planet and so my practice involves every day the optimal care of that person that person has to come first because otherwise it's like trying to serve someone else from an empty pantry you wouldn't want someone to come to your home you know, for lunch or dinner or even a tea or coffee and have nothing there or have very little. Um, you just couldn't do it, you know, like it just wouldn't be enough. And especially in our lives, we have usually more than that that we need to give. So it's really important. And for me, that practice is the fact that we can be hard on ourselves because we have internal mental residency. We're not looking at ourselves three-dimensionally except in a mirror. And even then, often, we are not very nice to that person when we see their image, right? Or we see their reflection or we see what they're wearing or what their hair looks like that day or their skin or, or just, you know, their stance or whatever it is. And yet the things that we say to ourselves, even into the mirror sometimes, would we say that to someone we loved? Would we say that to our best friend? Would we say that to a parent or a sibling or a child or a loved one? We wouldn't because, and if we did, we can imagine right away how they would feel especially when we say the certain things we do just before they make a phone call or go out the door like we would to ourselves. You know, maybe we're going to an important interview or something and we might just say, oh my God, you look terrible. Oh, well, you know, imagine saying that to a loved one when they're all worked up for this interview and you're like, oh my gosh, you look terrible. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> off you go. You know that you would see it kind of slump and they would, and that's what happens to ourselves. It really does happen to us. There really is a recipient listening to that. And we have to be so careful about it. And I believe that's what was happening to me as a child and has become a practice now because, um, and I'm, I'm very good at it in the way that I'm very protective of, of myself, even from my own thoughts. So if I catch myself, it's just human nature. It happens. We have old programs, old records, or also sometimes we're tired and we're just a little bit run down. And I might say something someday like, oh, oh my gosh, that was a, a really dumb thing to say. And straight away in me, I have this thing that goes, what? <laughs> it just says, what? What did you just say? And I immediately, and it's again, it's not being mean. I'm just like, oh yeah, that was really mean. No, that wasn't dumb. You just said that by being nice, trying to quickly say something. And if you'd had more time, you might've said something that you felt was more effective, but you, you came from a good place, you know, and, and that's how that dialogue is for me. And that's a practice that has become so inherent. It doesn't overly feel like a practice, but it is because there are days just like everyone else has when there's a lot going on sometimes, you know, I've, I've, I've had a lot of loss and in, 
in recent years, very recent years, I had uh, an incredible amount of loss all at once. And, uh, it, you know, really close. And I'm, I'm talking about death, in, to, you know, so the ultimate kind of loss. And it was just so overwhelming and in, incredibly painful. So, you know, during those times, it really is a choice to step that practice up. It's like, okay, you know, this is when I need to step up that self-care. And I feel this is really important to share this bit. In those moments, we can think, I certainly was in this position at that time of you're so worn out emotionally, you're so sad, you're grieving, or you might just be, you know, really hurt from, from something else, perhaps a relationship ended, perhaps you've been fired, there could be anything. And you just don't even have what it takes. It, it feels like you don't to get up off the couch or out of bed and go and make yourself some breakfast, you know, or go and do something like that. And a couple of things happened for me there. I always remember this. I, I said it to myself a long time ago, and I hope many people remember this. I said, okay, you have uh, still got the animal of the body here, right? This, this physical body, you're still, you still have that and it still needs to function. So just like if you had a pet, just like if you had a dog or a cat, you would in this mood, in this mode, you would still have to get up and feed it and put water down. And you just would, that part you would, you would just do it. So it doesn't have to be fancy, but you need to hydrate this body and you need to put some food in it, even if you don't feel hungry, just a small amount. That's, that's one thing. And the other thing is that, again, sometimes people feel like they can't even do that. And I'm not just, you know, uh, dissing anything where sometimes you need some help, like, you know, obviously you need to see a doctor or something like that. But just when you feel so sad and you really need someone else to be there to do that for you, perhaps, and you just don't have them. I then go into that mode of doing that for myself. And I really feel it distinctly is that I will make something in my kitchen in the mode of making it for somebody that I care about. I will go in and, and, you know, it's not even, I'm not even really thinking about, you know, I'm making this for me or whatever. I'll just be as if I were making it for, you know, a friend or a, a child or something like that. I go and I make this meal the best I can. And then I just put it down on the table with, as I would prepare for someone. And then after that, as myself still, but in that mode, I go and sit down as if it's been prepared for me. And I come and I sit down and I say this, but I actually do this all the time. And I say, thank you. You know, I just look up and I just say, thank you, because I feel like I really have sat down as if someone handed that to me. That is a really important and incredible, incredibly powerful um, distinction if you can start to make it. It's not making you into two people or anything crazy. It's not even woo-woo. It's just factual that we all have these different parts in our mind. We know that sometimes we don't want to do the admin side of our business, but we have to go into that mode and do it. Or we don't want to drive down the, the road and, uh, you know, go to an appointment, but we know that there's somebody, there's a responsible side of it, it just has to do it. And we do it. And we can do it with that. We can do that parenting side of ourselves. We don't have to be a parent physically. We just need to go, all right, I need to go into that part of myself, go into the kitchen and cook this for someone I care about. Then you put it down and then that person, allow that person in that grief and sadness who feels they don't have anyone right there, allow that person to be present when they sit down to receive that meal. And you receive it just the same as you would if someone had made it for you. And it really, I really hope that that can resonate with someone out there because it, it makes a world of difference, especially to the lonely and the isolated. And I know you can start to think too, oh, well, this is, this is really pathetic, really, that I have to do that. It's like, no, it's not. It's the opposite of pathetic. It's the most empowering, strong, courageous thing you can do. And if you're doing it at that level when you're isolated and alone or you're just feeling run down, 
then you are going to be so much more showing up for yourself in other times when you're in meetings or interviews or you're out somewhere or you're just with friends because you're, you're building a relationship with yourself where you really are aware of your needs and you know those aspects of yourself. This part's a bit tired. Let's go home a little early tonight. You know, or this other part's feeling really on and you're like, yeah, okay, I can stay a bit longer tonight. There's, it's really about getting to know yourself. My practice is about your relationship with yourself. It's the most important one that you have. And it's not even necessarily about self-love. For some people, that's a really hard word or term to come, you know, to come face to face with. It's about self-respect. If you start there and, and a willingness to at least be interested in yourself, be interested in what food you like, be interested in what you actually do like on a television or you do like in company, just be interested and be respectful of what, you know, you start to get to know about that person and that self-respect because you expect this human to show up for you 24 seven and it does an awful lot, carries us around, it takes us to places sometimes we don't wanna go. It does all sorts of things for us. Um, and that's just the externals, you know, internally it's doing so many things to keep us alive. So even for those reasons, we can start right there with self-respect and just start being aware of it and it will grow. And it's just, it's not about being uh, conceited. It's none of that. In fact, if somebody does say to you, oh, well, you know, you're really on yourself or you're so full of yourself, you can say aloud or just think to yourself, well, who else should I be filled with? Who else should I be filled with? If I'm not filled with me and all that I am, what am I bringing to the world? I'm bringing a fabrication or a carbon copy of someone and even then it won't be exact. And what, who should I be filled with? And I'm not even talking about a spiritual dimension or our faith. I'm just saying as a human being, you know, God or whatever anyone wants to call their faith knew, right? That you're here, this is a human being you got, be all of that human. And by, by uh, knowing yourself and being filled with yourself in that way with self-respect, and interest and curiosity. And again, coming back to respect, if, if, that's, if that self is tired or that self doesn't really like being around those people or whatever, if you respect that, you wouldn't push a child or someone you loved to keep going there. Respect that as you build it, you are just bringing such a present kind person into this world that lives by example to others purely just by you know their actions and choices as a result. So for me, that is a giant part of my practice with major, major doses of humor and joy wherever you can inject them in. Wow. I love that. And I love how you just zoned in on self-respect. I think that's huge because I'm always, <laughs> I've been that type of person who's like self-love, like uh, it's kind of like this abstract concept, you know, but the idea of self-respect is a little bit different because you can, you can love somebody, but not really respect them for, you know, who they are or like what they desire, what their interests are. Like, I really love how you hit on that specifically. So I know for me in the past, I've struggled with self-identity and, you know, who I am as a person. And I feel like it's a little bit tough to respect somebody that you don't know. So for, for girls out there who might be struggling with identity issues or mm they don't really know their identity a whole lot. Is that something that they need to figure out first before they learn self-respect? Or is that something that's done in tandem? You know, what is that recommendation? Girls in particular, you know, I mean, again, males as well, they've, they've got their own things that they're fed and it's really tragic, the things, you know, that society has done over the years and conditioning and, and everything. But just talking at the moment specifically about girls and women, um, you know, we're born into a world that conditions us mostly, for the most part, most of our cultures, you know, and some way more than others, but uh, are conditioned uh, to accept 
what we're um, what is ex- expected of us, and that if we want to go after something or um, we don't want to be soft and accommodating of a particular thing, that we're not very feminine or we're not very um, likable. You know, and this is this part. You know, really touches my heart even when I say it because. Um, you know, there's, there's, it's been our history to, as women to be very um, uh, accommodating and to put others before us. And we're often called selfless. And when you really think about that, we're, t- we're called that as a compliment. But with, if you're less yourself, that's, that's not a good thing. I, I'm not talking about when we might do something for others, you know, as an act of kindness or something that comes from our heart. But to be rewarded for selflessness and for always sacrificing everything and putting everybody else first. And, you know, you certainly see this where, you know, women, again, single women in particular, especially those with children, uh, you know, sacrifice, they say everything for their children, but there is a way to do that and still not be selfless. Like we need, and those children or our friends or whoever, you know, um, whoever's witnessing us as an example, they need to witness us with a self on board. And so I feel that we are really, not feel, I mean, it's obvious that we're very conditioned to to very quickly hand over our rights to our self-esteem or our confidence or our choices for ourselves. So if someone, you know, is starting out and not feeling like they have much identity yet, first of all, I feel so much immense love toward anybody who's in that position right now, because it's such a beautiful, vulnerable, fragile, yet very powerful state to be in because it's at that beginning it's kind of like when you know the I guess I'm getting the image of like a a tree when it's starting to you know just sort of unfold out those other parts you know it's it's powerful and it's incredible and it's meant to be it's a force of nature that it starts meant to grow and and during that time hopefully the elements around it are serving it so as a person as a woman as a girl when that's just beginning I think that's the time to be one feel joyful about it because it's like oh my goodness this is just beginning with me you know and and feel that joy it's like it's there you know like if you have a heartbeat and you have breath coming through you it's there even if that's all you have right now and you're like I'm clueless I don't really know what is I'm called to do yet or anything it's like because your number one purpose is that you're called to get to know yourself you'll get to you're called to respect yourself because when you start to do that you start to hear more those whispers of purpose, you start to understand, wait, I get really energized when I'm talking about this, or I feel really like worked up in a good way when I hear that story being told, or I hear about that particular um, movement happening, or when I look at this piece of art, or, you know, I pick up a pen and you start to go, wow, I, yeah, I feel good. And you do that by beginning, you know, just right where that is with your heartbeat and your breath. And you start to feel like, oh my goodness, I'm alive. I have a purpose. And number one is, to really, you know, like I was saying before, is to have that self-respect and that interest, have that curiosity. What does interest me? What does delight me? What does make me feel really sort of um, motivated to act on something, you know, because it's not always joyful things. It might be like, I don't feel good about that. That is wrong. And you might feel really strongly to the point where maybe that is part of your calling, or maybe it is just for a moment and it's going to lead you to something else. So I, I really like this as well, that this saying that for some people, they just feel like they're born with purpose. They know what it is. And it's certainly true for some. They just know, boom, right from the start, right from little, I was this. And for others, it's like the um, the wolfhound or the bloodhound on the, on the path. It's a constantly this little sniff and then that one and then this one and then that one. And it's just to follow that. And for those two that don't feel like they do have one set thing, that in itself can be your thing. It's that you're 
like the rain, you know, you're going to be in many areas and maybe at one point it might stay solid for a bit in one place, but that's okay. You're not failing if you don't feel called to one strong purpose. What's important is that you feel centered and you start to respect yourself and you get more on board. So you know those moments where you're here and then those moments where you're there and you know, we need every single person in their fullness of what they're called to. And some people are certainly called to being on many different paths. And just main most important thing is to be able to show up as whole as they can in themselves during it so that they're listening inward, right? So they can act then appropriately outward and they'll be gravitating then toward what feeds them, toward what grows them. And that's so important. Always gravitate to what grows you, to what feeds you and what builds you. And that's a simple math with it too, is just to move away from anything that depletes you, makes you feel lesser than or competitive in a negative way or any of those things. And then just keep gravitating to the other. And, and it can be tiny steps at first. And that's, I would really say that, especially to girls, don't settle for what someone else might hand you. Please don't buy into the shame. No, again, be compassionate to yourself for that. No, this is shaming. This is making me feel awful and that I should be doing something because otherwise I'm a bad person. So take counsel with yourself during those times. Think, you know, just think about it. Like, is that true? You get the final say on everything. That conversation with yourself is the most important one and is the most authoritative one. No matter what anyone tells you, no matter even what the facts might look out like that, look like out there, at the end of the day or the end of the experience, sit down, uh, even, you know, there'll be some emotions in there, but then just sit down with your knowing, did I come from this place with that? Did I, you know, what was my intention? Did I give my, you know, best? And even if you didn't, be compassionate to yourself about it and learn and grow from it, but never let someone else's opinion be the final say on what the truth is about yourself. Only you can know that. Only you are on board inside and that's your right and your responsibility. Are you enjoying this episode as much as I am? Girl, I hope so. If you're getting anything positive from this podcast, I would love it if you left a review and shared it with a friend you feel like needs to hear it. I know you hear this a lot, but this is really the only way other people can benefit and grow from this information as well. If you listen to this podcast, I'm assuming you have a desire for the world to be in a better place. And what better way to do that than by spreading awareness of self-development to help each person grow and be better a little more each day. And you might be asking, well, what's in it for you? Well, I'll shout you out on a future episode if you leave a review. Plus, at that point, we're pretty much friends. And the best part, it's completely free. So thank you so much for being a listener of Grow To Be Free. It really means the world to me. And now, back to the episode. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I feel like that's that's a good place to end, even though I want to keep going. But I know we have a limited amount of time. So um, I'm going to have you talk about where people can find you in just a moment. But what, what are some final thoughts? You know, what are some things that you would like to share with um, maybe a young woman who is just trying to find her way throughout life? I mean, these days we have so many different inputs from like social media. We have parents, friends. We have all sorts of different people chiming in our ears of, you know, what we should be, what we should do. And, you know, there's so many options out there. You know, if there's one thing that you can tell that person, um, what would you tell them? Any final words? Yes, absolutely. I would say to them that it's really important, again, to, you know, be taking in what what 
feed you the ones that you really gravitate to and build a pantry of that you know have little folders wherever you keep them on your phone or your computer wherever it is things of joy and laughter things that make you laugh i would say have those that that you feel you know inspired by and motivated by have those sorts of things there so they're a quick go-to just like when we need a snack physically it is really good even if you're feeling down sometimes and you need to lift your energy if you go into an already saved little video or something that makes you laugh you can't help but feel uplifted and and the chemicals will change scientifically will just change uh from that happening you can't be smiling or laughing and actually hold anger and fear at the same time you can't hold either of those so it's an immediate reset and it's a really helpful thing for the brain because you're telling it to i'm okay i'm okay but apart from that kiani i would really say as well that um these days i'm glad you mentioned it because you know there's so much in social media there's so much out there and be the master of that like early on very young it's the best thing i'm so grateful for the women that are coming through the young girls that are coming you know coming behind us and and those that are you know just beginning out there and those that are you know a few years in i just feel such love toward them and um you know and i'm so proud of them all and no matter where they are on the path because here's the most important thing we can get overwhelmed by those messages as well at first we start to feel good but we keep scrolling and it's just that our brain cannot hold that much it can't take it in so then we lose that original thing that we found inspiring so it's it's just a good thing to make sure that you take space for yourself each day where you aren't on there i know it can be hard sometimes you feel you need to be plugged in but honestly even if you just take 15 minutes whatever it is if it needs to be 5 minutes for you to begin with you know every single girl listening to this or woman and i just want to say to you do it for yourself because if you can take that time to just let it settle and capture just just set, just let yourself settle for a moment then capture what was it what even if it's just what was it that really spoke to me what was it that i really needed today and your body your mind will be quick to tell you it'll be you know i just needed some encouragement or i just needed some practical you know steps or something it will tell you and then before you go back onto your phone or whatever it is you have to do just jot them down because that is the thing we have the we do have an internal compass we do have a um you know a manual with us and that uh, a manual uh, that is a um you know inside us and that's that relationship to self so it's so important so that's what i would say is again uh, you know stay away from the shame stay away from the overload and if it starts to happen just take those few minutes i've even had this uh, is coming to me so i will share it i know we're very close to the end but i've uh, you know i've even said to women and, and young girls before um even girls that are at school because sometimes i speak to you know school students uh and i say look you can you can always take 2 minutes in the bathroom nobody's going to question that <laughs> you know if it no matter where you are whether you're at work wherever you are it you can excuse yourself to use a bathroom you can go in there close the door and you can just sit quietly for a moment and then just say to yourself let go right just like let go and sometimes that uh phrase also helps the stop and it's it stands for stop uh sorry stop take a breath observe and proceed So it just gives your brain and your body that chance to go it's okay no matter what's going on just going to stop stop take a breath observe proceed let it go and then very quickly in that breath you're usually filled with something right away that tells you your next move or what you need and you can you can do that and i i just want girls and women to really remember that they have the right they have the right to ask for their rights they have the right to have their boundaries and anyone that wants you to take you away from that or please be aware of anyone wary of anyone who tells you that they know you better than you know yourself that is a absolute closed door red flag right there no and 
just know that you have the right then to come back to you. And you not only have the right, but the responsibility. The more you do that, the women and the girls coming behind you as well and those around you are going to be so uplifted and inspired and encouraged by it that you may be the only example they get to see of that and lived out. And that can make a difference to their life going forward, even with no words expressed, just seeing you stand to your boundary and just say, no, what I do is enough. You know, no, this is right for me. And if I don't trust what is right for me, then I can't be of any use to you. Wow, that's incredible. Yes, you inspired me. Doctor, you inspired me. You are you are that girl who has gone through so much, and you've inspired at least one person today. And you're inspiring so many, and you you already have, and you'll continue to do so. And so, I'm just so happy and thankful that you're here and that you got to share your story and your tips with the listeners. And so, if somebody wants to get in touch with you for I don't know, maybe they want to. <laughs> just say hi (laughs) or you know just get a little bit of your energy or you know potentially like seek you out for mentorship because I know you're a mentor you know where can somebody find you right well great question I'm mostly active uh as in for being able to see people's comments or you know shares and things like that on Instagram I'm definitely active there um and it's just at Dr. Lanika Dr. Lanika um for Instagram my website I'm very blessed to have the name I do growing up I you know I used to feel like oh my goodness you know everyone gets it wrong or whatever but uh it's just lanika.com so I have yeah that's my site and also I'm really quite active over on Clubhouse which is the blessing of how we met uh Kiani initially and um yeah so I'm over there and I model a couple of the rooms well a few of the rooms over there so I'd love 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 anybody who wants to you know after uh, connecting through your amazing podcast to come and say hi in one of those rooms that would be wonderful and uh yeah so that's I mean I'm on Facebook as well as Dr. Lanika I just say Instagram because I'm mostly active there but I certainly do check it uh over at Facebook from uh time to time for sure and I am also on Twitter with the same, at Dr. Lanika. And Kiani, let me just say too, that you are one of those women, those you know, amazing women that are coming through making such a difference. There's, uh, you know, that's why I, I agreed and wanted to do the podcast with you. I'm very much led, as I've been saying too, on, you know, on what's in here. And I know this very, very much resonated for me. Uh, what you're bringing to the world is really, really important. And I love that you're reaching out to, uh, to young girls and to women because it's, it's such... <laughs> It's such a powerful demographic that's coming through and and a lot of a lot of us as women have been told that that we're not and that you know we need to keep quiet and that we're a danger to others because you know of uh you know of uh, one thing or another like we've seen in afghanistan all this kind of thing it's so horrific but the truth of it is the truth of it is that we are very powerful the truth is that's why you know there's been so much trying to push us down over the years and it's important that we show up powerful in our way that we really are as girls and as women, you know, that we show up with those strengths. We don't have to try and copy the male energy. We don't have to try and beat anybody, you know, um, at what they do in the male, you know, dominated fields or whatever. We just need to show up in all our power and reclaim that. And I really, really see you bringing that to world. So I'm really, uh, really, really happy that we got to do this interview. Thank you. Thank you for being here. You've provided so much value. And I just know, I know you're, um, you know, revising your book right now. So mm-hmm. tell us when people can get the new version of the book and where they can find the current version, et cetera, et cetera, because I want to read it. 
For sure. And um, at the moment, they can find the current version on Amazon uh, in the, you know, a down uh, Kindle type uh, version because I am revising it. And I'll hold it up because I had it here before to show you. So I know it's back to front in here, but it's Beggars Can Be Choosers is the name of that one. But it is getting revised. And uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I'm also in the middle of writing my latest book, which is called The 24 Hour Life. And I just get these chills every time that I say it, and especially again now, because that was a book that was born out of, uh, as I mentioned before, the great loss and the grief and how to be on the planet and show up effectively when you have all this terror and fear coming at you. You know, you're just so scared. You don't want to hear any more bad news or, you know, you're just almost frozen in your terror of moving about the world. And I'm so grateful. Again, I can look back at that adversity. And of course, I, I wish I hadn't lost my family at that time, but when I look back at what gifts are in that, it, it really drove me to have to write the book that I needed at the time, which was how do I survive this 24 hours and the next when there's so much, you know, guilt and uh, guilt, grief and um, fear around. And, and well, actually, I'm glad that the word guilt came up because we do have that around grief. Sometimes we have guilt about, you know, I wish I could have done something or said something or what have you. So again, how do you show up when you're feeling not only the loss, but you're feeling all these questions that be, can be quite damning for you? But I'm grateful that it happened uh, for me to write that book and be writing it because the world right now is very much like that for everybody. You know, it's been really closed down in our travel. There's a lot of fear going on things with Afghanistan, a lot of losses, you know, the Miami, um, you know, tragedy and Haiti. And, you know, there's just so much happening everywhere. So I think that I knew at the time this book will go out and help others, but this one now even more so. So the 24-hour life really shows us how to live a full life every 24 hours, even in the midst of great grief or tragedy, and to live without that terror and to be able to still show up. And I think it's such an important book. And even for me, I'm still looking forward to reading my own book um, with that one. But uh, yeah, uh, that one will come out, um, well, hopefully by the end of next year. That's that's the aim. And uh, But again, I'll be led by when it is the right time completely, but that's that's the aim. And also, yeah, the other one is available on Kindle. So, yeah. Awesome. Oh, my gosh. Well, hopefully hopefully we could do another interview when the 24-hour the life is going to come out again and just kind of get people to, to get that one because that one sounds exciting. It sounds very transformational. It sounds very important. So I'm excited for all of them. So, so guys, please check out Dr. Lanika. Please get her book. If anything that she said today, I'll go ahead. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I feel I just remembered something that's really, really important because with this, with the Beggars Can Be Choosers book only being in the Kindle download right now, um, it won't come out with the little, um, oh, I don't have it right here, but there's a little note that comes out that um, admin put in and from, from myself and from the team. And it just explains something about the book. So it, it's important because we've mentioned a fair bit about that story on here. Uh, the reason it's being revised, one of the big things, and it's part of, part of the upcoming book, is the fact that shortly after it was published, I received my birth certificate. And I hadn't had it before, you know, it was a time when, you know, even with passports, my, I don't know if there was a birth certificate back then, but my mom, you know, you could sign affidavits or stat, statutory declarations and, and, you know, and that, that was enough back then to be able to, you know, uh, create a passport or what have you. So eventually, yeah, I sent away from my birth certificate. And when I got it, it actually, <laughs> this, is, this could have been a whole other part of a podcast, but, and certainly I have spoken about it on others in, in case people are wanting to hear a little bit more about the story, but just in short, to keep this on time. Um, yeah, when my birth certificate came out, I was three years younger than I, than I knew. And it, within the coming 
week or two of that, I realized when that had happened, when my age had been doctored, because certainly, you know, I wasn't a three-year-old and um, I mean, a, a newborn and my mum's walking around saying, oh, she's three years old. I mean, obviously it wasn't happening then. It happened at a particular point in my life, which I remember very clearly and I never forgot. And it happened to both me and my sister. My mother told us one day that we'd had a three-year memory loss and that uh, some horrific things had happened and we didn't remember them and we'd shut them out. Um, and it came up because she overheard, I guess, my sister and I saying something about our age to one another, just like something, you know, like, oh, next birthday, I'm going to be this or something. And she came in and she was like, no, 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 you're actually this age. And that was, again, another traumatic time because that's your whole work. Like as a child, you're like, oh, no. But inside, you're also like, I know that's not true, but this is mom. Like, you know, you're just these thoughts are going on. And then we completely believed her, of course, because she was also very convincing. And I know that my sister thought this too um I, I I'm just guessing but it makes sense was that I thought if there's three if there's some things that have happened that I don't remember and the things I do remember was so horrific I didn't want to remember it I I was only too willing then as she was to just write okay don't think about it anymore so from that moment we thought we were a different age and we thought that it had happened that those years have gone by but we just shut them out so that's why in the book um it has the age as 14. And that's why it's so important that the next book with it, the revision explains it because I did think, well, maybe I need to rewrite the whole book with just changing the age. But then it was like, no, again, that sitting with yourself is like, no, because psychologically and uh, any other way, emotionally, spiritually, everything I believed and felt that I was 14 at the time. And when you look back, it was such a blessing because if I had thought that I, if I had known that I was 11, I would have had to stay on the street so much longer because once that year had gone by, I was old enough to get a job and I knew I wouldn't be picked up by welfare. So, you know, in essence, I was working from the age of 12, but, you know, because I believed I was 15, everyone, you know, just thought I was small for my age, which is not uncommon. So there is a gift in the fact that that happened to me again, even though it was incredibly, you know, discombobulating and disorienting at the time. And certainly when we do come back and do another interview, I'd love to, and you know, 24 hour life comes out, we can perhaps talk about that a little more, but what became important was that in the revised edition, it stays the same because it just shows the power of belief. And it's certainly what I talk about from stage is that aspect about finding out later that, you know, I was three years younger. And I remember thinking, why, why did this happen? Why did I get the birth certificate two months after my book came out? If I'd known it two months ago, I would not have to answer this question. I would have just written it that way. And then the gift came through to me, you know, just a divine gift of knowing, no, it was meant to happen that way. So you would address this important thing about the power of belief so much so that I believed I was, you know, three years older as a child that I'd had a three-year memory loss because the, my parents told me that was true. And so I didn't question that authority as a child. And I reinstated that belief by believing it, you know, over time so much so that it was, all the rest of those years until I got my birth certificate, I believed it. So if that happened clearly in the factual evidence there of my book and my birth certificate later, what beliefs have we taken on as children and young girls and boys, if, 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 if they're listening, that actually isn't true. We just believed it because our teachers or our parents or maybe our you know peers told us at the time, oh, you're you're um, uncoordinated or you're not good at sport or you're not a great artist or, you know, you don't, you can't really sing. And you know, and yet it was that passion that maybe was pushed down or maybe you are good at it because 
if we tell our brain, and this is the last thing I will wind up on, if we keep telling our brain and we believe it, like if there's feeling and emotion in it, which certainly happens when people tell us we're not good at something or it's not meant for us or, you know, oh, this one's an artist, not you, you know, your, your sister's the artist, you're, you know, you're just good mm -hmm. at PR or, you know, you're good at talking. It's all these things we start to believe. And so we tell ourselves and our brain is seriously a computer. So it just takes it on board and it starts to fulfill it for us. You know, it starts to give us fear when we go toward those things because it, we've told it basically, no, that's not for me. So then we trust that fear and we think, oh, okay, no, I'm not meant to do that. So again, it just brings us full circle back to coming back to center and to trusting our, just our inner knowing and realizing too, that there could be many, many beliefs in there that aren't serving you and that you've actually never even questioned, just like I didn't about my age until you sit down and take some time with yourself. And again, another important reason why that relationship is so vital. So I just wanted to add that in case people got confused if they went to Kindle, got the book. I just thought, no, I better interrupt County. I didn't like to do it, but I just think it's important so they know. Yeah, wow. Well, that was a really great point. And I love how you hit on the power of belief because it's it's so true. Like your thoughts really influence like everything in your life. So good point. I'm glad that you interrupted me for that. <laughs> um, I think um, so last thing, I am a person of faith, so I do like to pray for my guests. So if we have enough time, is it okay if I say a quick prayer? Absolutely, Candy. Thank you. Okay, awesome. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, Lord God. Thank you so much for Dr. Lenika and her incredible story. Thank you for protecting her throughout her whole entire life. And even though she's been through some incredibly adverse situations, I thank you that you've had your hand on her life this entire time and have been advocating, moving things around, just creating this life that is now able to shine on so many people. And only you know how many people she's really touched, but I know for a fact that she's touched so many lives already and that she'll continue to touch lives with her story and just the things that she's learned. I pray that I pray that you will continue to bless her in her diligence and her obedience in what you've called her to do in writing these books in sharing her story in talking to people in speaking on stages. Lord God, I pray that you'll continue to give her all the opportunities that she needs to continue building her platform and continue, continuing to impact so many people across the world. And I pray for financial blessings, relational blessings, and just incredible, um, strength and power in her life. I know she already has it, but I pray for even more. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.